Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Jen Plum with Charlotte Smarty Pants. Thanks for being here. Today we're sitting down with our resident experts at child and family development. Justine McAvoy is a speech language pathologist and has a wealth of knowledge in pediatric dysphagia, feeding, apraxia of speech, and motor disorders. Katie Kendrick is an occupational therapist and specializes in sensory integration, sequential oral sensory approach to feeding, and many more therapies. Our discussion today will focus on the transition to solid foods. So welcome, both of you. Thanks for taking time out today to talk to us. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having um, us. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. And um, and so, yeah, let's just start with um, what age? what age should we start transitioning to solid foods? So typically we say between four and six months. Um, a lot of people tend to start earlier these days, uh, but yeah, around four to six months. Four to six months. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you know if your child is ready? So from a gross motor standpoint, we really want them to be able to sit up by themselves They with just a little bit of support possibly, and they need to be able to control their head and neck. Um, they're showing interest in food, and they're starting to use things like teethers and exploring different textures in their mouths, too. Yeah, we'll often see, you know, oh, my child puts everything in their mouth. That's oral exploration. Yeah. That is completely appropriate. We want that for sure. Definitely. We're looking for that oral motor readiness, meaning they're opening their mouth when they see a bottle coming. If you present yeah. them with potentially, you know, a play spoon, they're opening for that spoon as well. So. And they're watching us. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like, give me what you have. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what types of food, like what do you what do you introduce first? So typically we are going to introduce that basic rice cereal or oatmeal at a very thin consistency. Um, you'll often get recommendations by your pediatrician. They might give you what to expect, you know, between four and six months. This is right. what your child should be doing at this time. And those often have great resources as far as what types of food. Um, if you do any solid foods, I typically just say Make sure it's dissolvable because chances are that first time your child puts a solid food in their mouth, they won't be chewing it right away. That is a learned behavior, um, a learned skill, I should say. Um, So definitely the purees, making sure they're thin. Um, Yeah, I mean, pureeing your own vegetables and fruits. Puree your own, right? Yeah, I did that for my kids. Uh I did too. It was time-consuming. So if you have the time, great. And if not, the stores have such a great variety now of, you know, uh, pouches that – they don't necessarily need to take from the pouch, but you can pour it onto a spoon. So practice okay. that spoon feeding skill. So. Um, what are some signs of ha- of them having difficulty with solids? 
Well, from a gross motor and fine motor standpoint, you know, if there's any delays there as far as like showing interest or starting to pick up foods from the tray, that could be kind of a sign that that could be a difficult transition. Um, Sometimes we're seeing kids who like are consistently avoiding the same thing over and over again. So if you give them a puree and every time there's like a lot of gagging or a lot of discomfort or like even sometimes you even see fear responses to that. Um, so definitely if you're sending it, seeing any of those kind of responses, there could be like a sensory processing concern um, for those situations. And then just when it comes to an oral motor perspective of it, if a child, for instance, is gagging every time the spoon touches his or her lips or tongue, um, that could be tied in with sensory, but it also could be tied into oral motor behavior. Maybe their tongue is not in the correct position. we are we might not see for instance uh closing on the spoon so a lot of times as moms we are so naturally inclined to put the spoon in and then wipe it up on their upper lip to clear it but what we want to see is a child learning how to close on that spoon and being able to clear it by around that six month eight month point after they've had some practice so of course if you're just starting with a spoon at six months then they won't be doing that right away but after a month or two of practice we should be seeing that closure on the spoon and some partial clearing and then some full clearing by at least 12 months right so and I think it's important, too, that it takes practice to, like, learn this skill because babies actually, their gag reflex moves back on their tongue over time. And so sometimes it's just a natural response for them yeah. to kind of gag on a food and kind of figure out, like, okay, what am I doing with this versus, like, a choking, which would be more of, like, a serious thing where we would want to say, you know, how are they recovering from that? Or are we seeing that frequently? Yeah. Because yeah. it's such a new experience going from like a bottle or breastfeeding to like, let's put this wet mushy texture in your mouth and let you figure out what to do with it. And is it different? Like if you're still primarily breastfeeding, like do you introduce these later or are you still doing supplementing with um, starting solid foods? Um I would definitely say you continue on the same path as you would if it was a bottle-fed baby. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's not a real difference when it comes to that sucking motion. Um, the latch potentially could be different if we're talking about a breast versus a baby bottle nipple. Yeah. Um, but other than that, our oral motor skills should be uh, building up right. in that same order. Okay. Okay. And what age should they be self-feeding? That's a really good question. I think we – like numbers are saying like emerging around six months is when they're starting to bring things to their mouth. They're already like going to be using feeders and things like that. So picking up like those soft solids, they should be starting to do that around that time. And then it takes a lot longer to get more efficient with like the spoon or the fork just with practice. Yeah. And what? So what, what happens at what point do we figure out if they're just a picky picky eater versus um, something more serious. 
This is the tricky question. Yeah. <laughs> I think question. Because it's natural to not like something. I can try right. something and yes. say, wow, yeah. this is gross. I maybe have tried lobster God knows how many times in my life. And I continue to say, I'm going to like it this time. And I don't like it every time. Oh, However, I love lobster. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just my personal thing. Yeah. So I can relate to these Or kids. tomatoes. A lot of people don't like tomatoes. Yes. 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 So, and as little kids too, I mean, I look at my kids when they were 12 months old and they would eat everything on their plate, anything presented to them, spinach and applesauce combinations, that would make us gag. But if I presented that to them today at four, they would spit it out and say it was gross. So our taste buds change over time. Mm -hmm. And depending on what study you look at, it can say... Continue that presentation, A, but B, it could take anywhere from 10 to 20 times before you know if you actually like the taste of something, which is why I keep on going back to lobster, lobster saying, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll like it maybe this time. Maybe it's the butter you don't like. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, my, um, my um, one of mine, so, you know, in the order of presenting foods, they're like, don't. Dessert first. Don't ever do the sweets first. Mm -hmm. So my Isabel is 19, and she still likes her sweets first. Like, (laughs) she is a diverse – and she would not eat any of the vegetables, but you threw applesauce or pears or anything, and that's just how she is. Mm -hmm. And she's not – I wouldn't say she's too picky, but it was just funny. I was like, well, I'm just going to give you the applesauce then (laughs) because I felt like it was important to learn those skills. Mm -hmm. For sure. And she definitely eventually ate. She's just petite. One of the questions for me is always what their nutrition looks like. So, yeah. I mean, you can get a lot of the same benefits from a fruit that you can from a vegetable. Um, but if you can't get any fruits in there or vegetables, that's definitely something that's challenging. Or, you know, if meal times are just torture for everybody, yeah. like that's a pretty good sign something's going on. And then sometimes we'll even get referrals for kids who just aren't gaining because they're so right. selective about what they will eat that the doctor's concerned at that point and kind of saying like, all right, we're not on the right growth curve. What can we do to kind of help with the eating habits? So what does that look like? What does that therapy look like? So every kid is so different and unique, um, which is really interesting. Is something Justine and I talk about a lot. Um, so we definitely do like a really thorough medical history and try to rule out like, is there anything else going on here? Sometimes like reflux or constipation or food allergies can be a factor, like swallow studies. Um, From an OT perspective, we do a ton of food play. Um, So interacting with things on your hands, using different tools in your mouth. And then I do a lot of what we would call food chaining, which is basically where you take like a food that they like, say they really like the applesauce and you say well can we get an applesauce that also has strawberries pureed into it and then see if we can gradually make change that way so we're not kind of scaring them off to like big changes interesting that they have fear yeah even early on they can have stuff is scary and sometimes we see especially a fear response to like if they've had reflux when they're little because they're they're in pain, but they can't necessarily tell right. you. Um, so we see that really early on sometimes. So let's um, – okay, the, so there's another um, situation. Let's go deeper into pediatric feeding disorder. So what what is this? So there, there's been more recent research around feeding disorders, you know, with – 
all of the babies being born more prematurely. There are more feeding issues among the pediatric population in general. And I think that as professionals, as speech pathologists and OTs, and we see more and more, so more research has been done around it. So with all that research, we have gotten a new definition for pediatric feed-in disorders. So it's an impaired oral intake that is not age-appropriate and is associated with medical nutrition, feeding skill, and or psychosocial dysfunction. And basically, that gives us the ability to diagnose a child, even if they're picky eating. It has to be severe picky eating right, to a point right. for us to actually give that diagnosis. And not gaining weight and Potentially, of, potentially. Okay. I mean, every kid, again, is different in that. I mean, I see kiddos that will eat maybe five foods, and they won't try new things. It's not that they can't, but they just won't do it. Right. So part of that is behavioral. That's part of that psychosocial component, not necessarily just the medical component. Um, and with this new definition, it has given us access to um, – insurance in a different way so these kids can actually get therapy for it versus oh well picky eating isn't something that as a speech pathologist would get covered under me for instance so there it's a it's a very nice broad definition is there any research that it links to like eating disorders later so there is research that it actually is associated with a risk of developmental delay so it's the journal of Pediatrics had it was twice as likely to miss a developmental milestone if the child has had feeding problems and they're fairly consistent feeding problems, not just, oh, this month, you know, you refuse something, but it's a chronic issue. Right. Some of the um, referrals I've been getting recently have, there have been a kind of a dual diagnosis of, um, some of them have had, I've been getting some more teenagers or young adults lately um, who have had long-term challenges with this. And so they've had kind of the pediatric feeding disorder diagnosis when they were a lot younger. And then um, sometimes there's anorexia later, but it's, I don't know exact numbers, like what the actual statistics would be for that. Right. Um, because hopefully when we're working with them, we're making progress. But I think this is like a really tricky area. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we can identify like, oh, it's this one thing. We just need to work on this. And then once we get those oral motor skills in place, then we move forward. Um, But for some of them, there's so much anxiety or social emotional aspect going on that they really benefit. I mean, these are older kids, but they really benefit as well from like anxiety work, coping skills, those kind of things, because the food challenge is so big. And you're looking at the big picture of the child as a whole. maybe that's the one thing they can control. But Yes. I mean, uh, that was going to be one of my questions. Um, treatment plans, like, you know, is it is this a lifetime battle or is this something that with therapy they can overcome? I mean, obviously we're not going to know. Each patient is different. But right. Like, can you think of maybe by elementary school they would be a little – have so some progress? from – 
What I see a lot of, because I work with more of the oral motor perspective initially, and I see a lot of those, you know, six to 12 month olds who perhaps don't have the oral motor skills. So that means moving your tongue side to side, being able to manipulate the food in your mouth, chewing skills, and that's why they haven't been able to progress to the next stage. Um, It could be just a muscle weakness. And once we get those in place, these kids are eating typical diets. And that definitely definition no longer or that diagnosis no longer really applies to them because they've been able to advance to the next stage. They're no longer gagging, coughing, or choking on foods because they're suddenly chewing and swallowing. So... Yeah, yeah, it could so it be just a very yeah. short. I mean, I see kids sometimes one month, then we're out. Other yeah. kids are, we're in here for the long haul. Yeah. And that's okay because we're at least making a difference, making it at least a little easier at home. Right. So. Um, so is there an assessment that moms and dads can do at home before, uh, like some sort of tool, that online tool or a resource, or they, it's usually referred by their pediatrician? or? So I'd like to refer my families who might have questions to feedingmatters.org. This is a website that I discovered has a ton of great references when it comes to what is a feeding disorder, what does it look like, where should my child be right now at this age. It has different articles that you can access. It's not just a one-and-done resource. It's got resources from all over, over. research. Um, They also have a directory in there. I mean, of course, I would love to refer everyone to child and family development. For sure. Um, definitely however, do their first, everybody. You know, and then Smarty Pants, too. Yes. Little plug there. Um, but you can look up with your area code, your zip code, and it'll give you all of the um, people who have registered that are feeding therapists there. Yeah. So for the kids who need therapies while they're in school like do you time it around like do they get taken out at lunchtime or how how does that work (laughs) is that like tricky because they need to kind of be hungry right when they're it depends like we don't want them to be like starving like we want them to be in like a stable emotional place yeah so if if you're hangry (laughs) it's not a great time to be like let's try something new um a lot of the you know older kids just naturally come in after school just because they don't want to miss a lot of school right um I mean, I don't particularly like to do feeding therapy at 8 a.m. because um, I'm just not a morning person. I like doing feeding um, therapy at 8 a.m. There you go. <laughs> My 12 months olds are awesome They're and happy good by then. <laughs> yeah, that's like half the day for some of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it just depends on like the family. There's not really a, a bad time, I guess, to do feeding yeah, therapy but unless it also... it's like nap time or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> The volume aspect. A lot of times I'm not working on volume. I'm working on skill. And they're maybe eating a half a gram cracker or, you know, working on building muscle strength or training on how to do, you know, a certain texture. And it's just little tidbits of food. So, you know, we don't want them to be hangry necessarily. So, honestly, it could be any time of day. Yeah. Uh, But, again, I want those kids to be happy. Yeah. (laughs) And one thing, too, is, like, we really want to preserve their volume intake during meal times and so a lot of times I'll even recommend like let's not try the new food at dinner because I know 
they need to eat at dinner. And if they're going to totally shut down, then I would rather them eat their safe foods at dinner and then we explore a new food like during a snack time. Yeah. Um, Because some kids, if you put the new food on their plate, they're like, nope, like done for the whole night. And you might know some of those kids, you know, where it's like, unfortunately, it becomes a battle. Yeah. Um, And so kind of picking your picking your battles and saying like, okay, volume and nutrition is important. So if we're going to have to introduce a little bit of stress, then can we do it at like a different time of day? Yeah. Okay. Well, are there any other resources that you all want to share with families who might think that, you know, they need to explore with you all? Well, I mean, if you have questions, if your child needs feeding therapy, they can always ask their pediatrician because they should at least have a reference as to what you should be doing at this age. And if you're not, then perhaps we need to go a little further and you contact someone such as ourselves where we'll do phone consults just to, you know, a lot of times parents will ask, well, is this appropriate? Do you do this at your clinic? Are you, you know, experienced with behavioral um, therapy in that or oral motor or that and type you're, of And a child thing, and family, so. you can, com- like you said, combine, mm-hmm. combine some therapies that you know, customize a treatment plan for Yeah, it's really nice because we have kind of everybody in-house. So right. I can say, hey, we need speech therapy on board with this, or maybe we need some anxiety management, you know, for our older kids. Yeah. Um, so it's really convenient to be able to – we can communicate a lot mm-hmm. more easily that way too. Um, and like Justine was saying, you know, if with us, if you set up like a free 15-minute phone consultation, we're happy to kind of ask, you know, all of the different questions and try to make a appropriate recommendation for like older kids. One of the very minimal cutoffs is like, do you have 10 fruits and vegetables in your diet? Um, you know, just some basic, like basic minimums. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would guess my teenagers don't have. Yeah. (laughs) Well, not 10 of each, 10 combined. uh, Yeah. I might not even either. No. Um, Okay. Well, thank you all so much for sharing your time with us today and your expertise. We're so thankful. And Smarties, you can find Child and Family Development on childandfamilydevelopment.com and on Facebook at Child and Family Development and Instagram at Child and Family Dev, D-E-V. And then you can always find us daily on charlottesmartypants.com. Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Smarty Pants and Twitter at Charlotte Smarty. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty Podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com.